Broadway has expanded its borders once again. Audiences are used to seeing shows in cities across the country and in London, but now the stage is set for more and more productions in Asia and around the world. Hello, I'm Gordon Cox from Variety, and with us today to talk about the new world market for theater are Simone Jeanette, chairman of Broadway Asia, Robert Niederlander Jr., president and CEO of Niederlander Worldwide Entertainment, and Alan Wasser, general manager, Alan Wasser Associates. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I wonder if we could start off talking about the, um, the sort of history of New York producers starting to look at the international market beyond what we traditionally have seen sort of on the road and in London. I think it probably goes as far back as A Chorus Line, which was the first production of, uh, of international interest that merited multiple productions and, and uh, touring by English language companies around the world. I think it started roughly at that era. Um, it was about, I think it was about 50 or 60 years ago. Um, the Japanese were the first really to bring um, American Broadway musicals into the marketplace. Um, and I think, you're right, I think it was Chorus Line and Sophisticated Ladies mm. were the yeah. early ones that went into the marketplace. What about Chorus Line, for instance, in particular attracted their attention, do you think? Um, I think the universality of the show, principally, right. and the fact that it was an international hit. Broadway, uh, until, I suppose, about the Chorus Line era, a Broadway producer would usually acquire rights to present, to produce or co-produce um, reproductions of the Broadway production in English-speaking territories, UK and Australia, New Zealand, basically. Uh, and I think you're right. In the in the last, say, 30 to 40 years ago, uh, or more, uh, interest in particular from Japan uh, started to open people's eyes about maybe going beyond just the English language territories. Right. And what? have you found the Broadway, that Broadway overall as a brand means internationally? Broadway is an incredibly powerful brand, much more powerful even than it is in the American system. Um, it really denotes money, the best of the West, and non-political entertainment, which crosses cultural barriers everywhere and draws a lot of support and financial support and sponsorship and um, when a market emerges, an economy emerges, they tend to brand themselves with Broadway. That's what's happened over the last 20 years. So that as the emerging markets have come into the system, whether it was Latin America or China or Dubai or any of these markets, they tend to brand themselves with Broadway to show that they are a market to be reckoned with and a market that has clout and money. And how did that happen? How are international audiences, Bob, for instance, you've said to me that people in China know uh, Sound of Music very well, is that sure. right? How? Where, where, do they, where are they exposed to it? Well, specifically for, uh, uh, for the Chinese market, you had several shows that were uh, 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 presented to the Chinese audience through television during the Cultural Revolution or uh, soon thereafter. Sound of Music was one of those shows. Uh, you had uh, uh, Death of a Salesman, Singing in the Rain, were shows that were uh, made familiar to a Chinese audience well before there was any real interaction between the West and China. And what was it about those shows that that uh, caused them to be selected? I believe it's to uh, it was illustrative of perhaps the best and worst of uh, Western society, Western culture, with their their, their selection. Uh, 
Uh, it was certainly, it certainly did, however, open the uh, the door for uh, uh, for those shows to come in. And uh, uh, Simone led that effort with Sound of Music uh, into China. And can you tell us a little bit about that? About uh the decision to bring over Sound of Music and what people's sort of reaction to the show was? Entertainment of this sort, Western entertainment, fell under the area of propaganda until the last seven or eight years in mainland China. And it re they were very restrictive about what was allowed into the system. And um, as Bob said very clearly, um, the Chinese government chose really two or three pieces of our literature. Um, to educate their people by, that they allowed into the system. One was Sound of Music. They loved Sound of Music. Everything about Sound of Music they loved. They um, admire it. They taught it in their high schools. Everybody learned how to sing Do Re Mi in mainland China. And um, I knew this <laughs> in, their, in the mid-'80s. Um, it was the first tour to go into mainland China to tour really what is 15 cities in the marketplace um, and do 60 weeks of touring across Asia which had really was unheard of. Um, and it was our goal to try to develop the marketplace as an expanded touring route for exploitation by, um, by Broadway product into the future. And uh, Sound of Music really paved that way. It's one of those shows that everyone loves in the international markets. You know, any, any market that is emerging will always do Sound of Music as an opener. Um, but as Bob said, you know, the, the Chinese chose Sound of Music to show the beauty of our culture, and they showed they chose Death of a Salesman to show how we mistreat our elderly and how the American system really doesn't work and that the, the downfall of America. Um, and then they had Fantastics and Singing in the Rain. I mean, that's basically what their, that was their, that was the breadth of their knowledge, essentially, until Bob and I got together and started introducing some other Broadway shows into the marketplace. Um, but they, you know, up to that time, it really, uh, it's only been the last seven or eight years that they've opened up. Interestingly, I think growing interest around the world in, in Broadway theater is very much an economic function. I agree. Because if you take, if you go back, say, 50 years, uh, at that time, American musicals, as I mentioned before, might get reproduced in London and in Australia, but not much beyond that. Japan was the first market to come on right. that expressed a real interest in American musical, musicals. And again, I think that coincided with Japan's increasing prominence in the, in the, in, in the world economy. Uh, Europe has always been a reasonably strong, well, since the 60s at least, strong, strong territory for Broadway musicals. Uh, major titles, generally. Uh, West Side Story, for example, is yes. a perennial in Europe, uh, both in terms of being produced locally by uh, you know, uh, local theater companies as well as touring. What's interesting, I think, about the last 15 years or so is the huge development of Asia. Yes. And again, I think it's an economic, as uh, 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 a result of economic improvement in those countries. The best example I can think of in that respect is in 1991, at the invitation of the government of Singapore, we took the U.S. touring company of Les Miserables to Singapore, uh, which by then had just completed 15 years of explosive economic growth. and. Uh, Cameron McIntosh report told me about a conversation he had with a Singaporean official in which Cameron asked, why are you interested in, in this show all of a sudden? And his response to, was to say, well, we spent the last two decades working hard and build, building an economy and making money and, and creating a, a, a very a quite wealthy society. Now we want to enjoy some of the fruits of that. And their first view was to the American musical, which uh, and, and British musicals, I think, by that yes, era. both, yeah, both. That uh, they had become familiar with from afar. 
Um, and I think we've seen that trend then develop. So certainly now China is the most explosive area for that, but yeah. also for other Far Eastern markets and even, mar even markets outside of Europe and the Far East, South Africa, yes. is, is starting to show more and more interest in, uh, in, in uh, Broadway musicals and London musicals. Dubai, you mentioned. Yes. Again, very much a function of economics. Dubai, there was a time when Dubai first came into the world view, um, and there, the New York Times article had not come out yet. Um, through my website, in one week, I got approached by 10 parties from Dubai, and I had absolutely no idea where Dubai was on the map, what its <laughs> purpose was, and it hadn't really emerged yet. But what I've seen <coughs> over, what we've seen over the last, you know, 20 years of doing this is that when a market comes into its own financially, as, as Alan was saying, they look to Broadway to brand themselves. It's really, it's a fascinating process. And we have actually preceded the economic explosions. So they, it, the, the, it, it, it's happening within the marketplace, but it hasn't really hit the global market in terms of awareness. But they reach out to us before that and then use Broadway as a branding mechanism. And can you generalize about what kinds of shows tend to work abroad? I think shows that um, cross cultural lines uh, that are universal in their appeal. You can name any number of American musicals from, from the past, for example, that don't meet that criterion, that are very American and very specific to our culture. But I think the, the initial interest. Can you give us an example? Uh, Hairspray? Uh, yeah. And Hairspray Crosses. For, but for a different reason than what Alan's saying. I mean, if, if, if you go back to Pajama, excuse me, pajama back to Pajama exactly. Game, for example. It's oh, really yeah. an American product. I think certainly the, well, the, the British mega musicals of the 80s certainly met that criterion. Chorus Line met it. Absolutely. Sound of Music met it. Yeah. I suppose even, I'm not sure about this, a, a title like Annie perhaps? Annie has, but mainly licenses because mm. touring a dog is, is somewhat problematic. But actually there's an interesting, <laughs> there's an interesting exception or maybe extension of that, of that notion which is a show like Chicago which has had huge international yes. Uh, exploitation, but it's a very American piece. I think that also it's it's a combination, as, as Alan was saying, of what is universal from our market, but also what is the most successful. They're interested in what's mm. most successful and most regarded and the best of. So you know something like Chicago or Hairspray, which you know is much more Americana in its positioning. Are, is also very successful in the international markets because it's won the Tony Awards and it won its Academy Awards and it did the you know Hollywood and Broadway, that sells as well, and little musicals sell a lot. There's a huge marketplace throughout Asia for the I Love You, You're Perfect Now change and Toxic Avengers and Rooms and we do tons of those musicals in local languages across the marketplace. There's a huge appetite for those little musicals. Does that have to do with they can they're sort of produced on a smaller scale and therefore ticket prices are less or is it just a um, there is a very active, um, small, off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway style communities throughout these Asian markets, um, young demographics, and um, they produce local language productions, and they're, it's more cost-effective, and they're edgier. Our focus is China, given the, uh, the enormous uh, opportunities there, and... Uh, uh, certainly the, uh, the, the tremendous growth we've seen over the last couple of years, but uh, 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 there is a, certainly there's price sensitivity. If you are not, uh, uh, if you don't have a brand, something that is Tony Awards, 
success on Broadway, there's a um, uh, uh, less of a willingness to pay what are still high ticket prices for uh, for Chinese audiences. And this isn't just Shanghai and Beijing. You're talking a dozen or a dozen or more cities across the country. Uh, so what a smaller uh, smaller productions allow you to do is to uh, of course make these shows uh, affordable to uh, an audience willing to take a uh, uh, perhaps spend on something other than the uh, the brand uh, the brand uh, that they've uh, that they've heard of. Uh, you've you've all mentioned Tony Awards as sort of a main a major indicator of internationally of a show's success. Are there other uh, things that point international attention in the direction of a show? Well, a successful run on Broadway, a successful run on the West End. Long runs. Uh, interestingly, film adaptations sometimes. Uh, the conventional wisdom once was that if you had a show running on Broadway, it would be suicide to, to have the film released. Uh, Chicago proved that yes. to be untrue. Phantom of the Opera also. Phantom of the Opera. You know what's also interesting, I think, about where things are going now is that there are sort of two aspects, two ways in which American theater is reaching you know, across across the oceans. One is uh, productions that are s sent to visit, basically U.S.-based tours that uh, you know, may go to Japan or China or other places, uh, inevitably performed in English with surtitles. Uh, the other development, which is still still I would think rather in the more nascent stages, is local production of high quality. There are increasingly local theater companies, local organizations who are taking on the challenges of producing Broadway musicals to a very high standard, uh, a higher standard than you would ordinarily have thought. So I don't think those two types of productions are necessarily in competition with one another. No. Uh, but both are growing, I think, it's fair to say, as we speak. What in particular in China is, uh, is a challenge um, in working there. Taking, taking Broadway to China or yeah. China here? Both. Both. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's start with Broadway uh, to China. Well, uh, first, understanding the environment in China is, it's, uh, as Simone mentioned, it's relatively new. As they refer to it, the cultural industry has only very recently opened itself up to uh, foreign, uh, foreign shows. Uh, fortunately, uh, Broadway doesn't face the same restrictions that the movie industry does. Uh, there is a challenge with licenses and approvals. Uh, I'm not aware of any a Broadway show which has been uh, uh, which has not received the license. One uh, vagina monologues. <laughs> so where are we going? Honestly, I mean, you know, that's it's an interesting thing to note. But Bob's right. Besides that, I mean, Rent got in, you know, barely, but Rent got in, you know, but vagina monologues did not. We haven't had. Uh, uh, any any resistance to the shows that we've either taken in or uh, have uh, have proposed, uh, uh, unlike uh, and I, I I'm not aware of any quotas as they again they have in the music uh, with movies uh, the motion picture industry. Uh, you've got cultural issues. Uh, language makes that a, a challenge. Meshing uh, meshing your Western uh, technical staff with the uh, their Chinese counterparts uh, is a challenge and. Uh, uh, taking uh, touring shows across China is is relatively new. Forty uh, Second Street uh, was the first show to tour extensively across China. And, what year was uh, that? Uh, that was uh, actually Sound of Music preceded it, and then Forty Second Street. Forty uh, Second Street we did together. It was our production we produced and managed, and Bob toured. I see. Forty Second Street had the uh, was the most extensive 
uh, at that time. Right. We did ten, 10 cities. And uh, uh, the, uh, uh, many of these cities hadn't seen Broadway before. And uh, Simone has plenty of stories, as do I. And uh, uh, some of those breaking the ice, uh, introducing the concept of what's expected for our, uh, our productions. And, uh, and how do you do that? Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you do a lot yeah. of praying. Uh, it, it was uh, uh, takes a lot of advanced work, and it's uh, you also learn from experience. Uh, you are uh, uh, now there's uh, experience in the market with extensive tours. Uh, we, we follow that up with uh, Aida, and also tour through uh, uh, ten cities, and we'll uh, bring fame at the end of the year. She'll do a similar tour. And I know Simone's had similar experiences. It's, it's uh, with time and experience, it'll, uh, it certainly gets better. I think also part of the challenge of, of mainland China as a marketplace is that um, the cities are very isolationist. Um, there isn't communication amongst the parties, really. They don't want to share information. It, they're, very, they're very much islands unto themselves. I mean, we've toured shows now in 27 cities across mainland China. So I really know this country inside and out and the variation of the tiers of the marketplace. And um, they, they, they really range considerably in terms of you know, their knowledge, their approach. And it's also about negotiation. I mean, we are a very specific territory about how we do contracts and how we negotiate. And our, our way of negotiating is we get a contract, we finish it, and you we assume that under most circumstances people will stick to it. In China, you finish a contract and it's the start of the negotiation. And it goes all the way until you leave. And if you don't know that, that's why most businessmen cannot do deals with the Chinese because it's just not, that's not the way they function. I mean, Bob can tell you. You know, Bob mm -hmm. and I also did West Side Story together in Beijing. And um, when it, was that? That was? Uh, it was uh, uh, spring of 2007. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So. Um, and it had never been in the marketplace. It was the first time, and we, we did it at a festival together. Um, and so it, it, it's, it's really a, 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 it's a huge cultural difference in terms of where we are. You know, um, We expect accountability as Americans. There's very little accountability in mainland China. As a lawyer, we're also, uh, of course, our training is to uh, 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 understand the rule of law is uh, something which has uh, uh, something we can rely on with our, our, our contracts. And again, it's uh, uh, in China, it's not always clear what the rules are. And the contracts are according to our Western experience, our Western uh, standards. That uh, uh, it is viewed a bit differently there. And understanding that and having the flexibility to uh, 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 work within. Uh, that environment is, is essential. I think it's also true, Bob, that you and I have been very involved in the last three to five years with actually creating law and creating regulations and creating systems with them that really actually don't exist at this point. And, and, and part of that is, uh, uh, I'm sure Simone has had similar experiences, uh, one of the fundamental differences, and this isn't just true with China, but uh, uh, there is a Ministry of Culture in China. It regulates the industry. You're required to uh, apply for, again, licenses to enter the country. 
uh, to conform to certain rules in your relationships with local presenters uh, and uh, media. Uh, and interacting, learning, uh, understanding what those, uh, what those rules are and what's permitted. It's not always in writing. I mean, again, this it's is rarely it's, it's opaque. And, and you, it's rarely you, you, in you, you learn this from experience, having uh, reliable partners who can help uh, guide you through what can be uh, a local partners. A difficult, local partners, yeah. a, difficult, a difficult process. Uh, when uh, I remember is, I, I feel in many cases, I almost serve as a cultural ambassador times I find quite a bit of my time is spent with government officials, uh, both in primarily in support of, of course, our activities, which is not just bringing shows into China, but managing theaters, helping them to develop what they refer to as their cultural industry, uh, and, uh, uh, but also representing the interests of uh, the theatrical, uh, the entertainment community in the United States. And, and Alan, you uh, were just with Dreamgirls in uh, Korea. Can, yes. Did you find what was what was that experience like for you in terms well, of well, it's an uh, experience cultural. we're still going through. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a very interesting experience, and one which I think might provide some key lessons for the future. Uh, and I think, unlike uh, any arrangement for an American musical being done overseas that I'm aware of uh, to date, essentially the Korean production of what developed was that there was a, a local theater company in Korea that was interested in mounting a major production of Dreamgirls. And they approached John Brelio, uh, who represents the Dreamgirls estate and is also a, uh, uh, a producer in his own right. Uh, and he came up with the idea of possibly doing a co-production, which basically involved the... What, what we did was we built the set for the show in America, built the costumes in Korea, uh, and engaged an American creative team director and designers and, and, and musical staff. Uh, and that creative team went to Korea, rehearsed a local Korean company in, in Korean, which was a major challenge, as you can imagine. Uh, and all the elements were brought together there for a 20-week run uh, at the Charlotte Theater, mostly financed and paid for by the Korean producer. At the end of that run, the uh, set came back to the US, and we're now, as I say, literally uh, in technical rehearsals at the Apollo Theater to open the same production, but with an American cast, entirely recast with uh, an African-American cast appropriate to America. What was interesting about the experience is that when you're developing a new production, usually you spend your time in a rehearsal hall and then you get into the theater and everything is a surprise and you're working all kinds of different problems out. In this case, what was interesting was that the Korean engagement, at least from our point of view, was primarily working out technical and production and design issues because it was pretty difficult for the creative team to know what was being said since it was performed in Korean. Uh, and so we had the luxury of really fine-tuning the design, the lighting, and all of the other elements so that bringing the production here now, uh, the, since we've got that under our belt, the focus is very much upon the performance and the, the cast performance and the direction. So you sort of tried out way out of town. We tried, we tried the set out <laughs> yeah. out of town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We tried it back. There was one very interesting cultural, uh, I, I think very much of what we're talking about here has to do with cultural differences yeah. and meeting the challenges of cultural differences, but there was one very interesting one, I think, on Dreamgirls, which was that William Ivy Long, our costume designer, uh, was very specific about the fact when we built the show, we built the costumes in Korea for the Korean cast, 
Um, and there was discussion, well, we'll bring those costumes back to the States and use them in the U.S. And the first reaction to that was it's not good practice to cast any production by fitting the costume, obviously. But more importantly, he felt rather strongly and rightly that the color palette that he would need to work with to, f to work with a Korean cast and Asian complexion and so forth was very different from what was needed in, in a, uh, using an African-American cast. Different color palettes, subtle differences, but important differences. And so as a result, the notion of take, building the costumes and bringing them back never played out. Although, what we did do was to build a second set of costumes, not here, but in Korea, um, which w saved an enormous amount of money in mounting, remounting the show for the United States, but also that exercise, building the set of costumes, wouldn't have been possible if the Korean shops hadn't already gone through doing it once for a production. Uh, it's been a very interesting experience and one, and one uh, we're still going through. But so far it's been uh, a very satisfying and uh, uh, happy uh, experience for us. Yeah. And Simon, tell us a little bit about, you just got back from China uh, from a show that uh, you developed there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, we were hired by um, the mayor and vice mayor of the district of Beijing to executive produce um, a brand new Broadway-style musical. Um, we executed contracts with them five months ago, and um, we started production three and a half months ago. And my colleagues here who know very well producing for <laughs> a brand new musical in three and a half months of time, and they <coughs> built us a new theater. So they built a brand new theater from a flat piece of land. Shows the innovation and um, expertise of the Chinese when they really want something. I mean, they're very um, driven people, without question. So we created this brand new musical. It's a fusion of Hollywood movie musicals, the best of Broadway music, and uh, Chinese cinema. Um, we got full support from Hollywood and from Broadway. It's a combination of a piece that has music from Julie Stein and Sondheim and Bernstein and Rodgers and Hammerstein and Richard Adler and Comden and Green. I mean, it's the best of, and it's a story, and it's pretty amazing. It's one hit after the next. Where did the story come from? Who? Um, my partner Mark Roth and I conceived it. Right. Um, we hired a writer from um, from Hollywood who was a friend of mine from college. Was actually, that three and a half months ago that this happened. That was three and a half months ago. <laughs> <laughs> that was three and a half months ago. I'll tell you, I haven't slept in three and a half months. I don't think I'll sleep again for another six. That would um, be my typical text to Simone. Which, where are you today? <laughs> I'm in I mean, China. I can't have breakfast with you. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying China. to get. I'm trying to make sure there are walls on this theater before I kill someone. Um, but. Uh, you know, it was an astounding process. I mean, it's, quite, it's an awesome show. It worked. Um, you know, we did it as a shorter version because we knew we were climbing a massive mountain. The show runs about 75 minutes right now. Probably will expand not that much more. And, um, and uh, it's a Broadway, or rather, American creative team? It's a Broadway creative team. It's a Broadway company of, you know, equity performers. And so then what happens next with this production? Um, this production will run through December 10th um, in mainland China, and uh, then it will... In one venue or in... in one venue. In, this is Beijing? Um, in Wairo, oh, okay. Beijing. Um, it's a district of Beijing. And uh, then it will... Uh, we have already have tremendous interest for it to tour. 
So uh, we'll take it down, we'll develop it a little bit, and then we'll go out and tour in mainland China, opening somewhere between March and June, and then across Asia. So our first, our first focal point, from a rights point of view and a copyright point of view and intellectual property, because it was a lot of very powerful parties at the table, we focused on Asia to get it up on its feet, and, um, and we're happy with it. It worked. It's in quite an amazing feat. Can we also talk a little bit about bringing uh, international fair into um, into New York specifically, uh, or into America, but specifically New York. Um, I know you've had experience with that. What uh, what are the challenges going in that direction? Well, we brought uh, Solo Shaolin to uh, the uh, the marquee uh, last Jan last January. Uh, it was a uh, three week run of a uh, show produced by our our Shanghai uh, partners. It, uh, uh, this is a group that does have experience, considerable experience uh, in the uh, entertainment market in China. Uh, they had taken the show into uh, to Australia uh, and several other places, but this was the first experience. In fact, this was the first Chinese show to play on Broadway. There were challenges in explaining the, uh, the differences between uh, Broadway, uh, union rules, in, in particular, <laughs> which we're all familiar with. Uh, it's a daily conversation uh, happening right sure. now. Yeah. Uh, which was something that uh, was uh, understood conceptually, but to understand uh, the, uh, uh, the, the need to, uh, uh, to work within a particular framework was it's just a bit different. And part of this is cultural as well in ways we, we've discussed earlier on this, on this program. So. Uh, did you find that there were challenges in marketing it to American audiences, marketing the show to American audiences? It's awfully difficult to present a show for uh, for three weeks on Broadway, given given the, uh, the the cost here. But this was a, it was a tremendous success for us. Uh, we were uh, we certainly exceeded expectations, uh, both our expectations as well as our, our, our Chinese partners. Uh, remember back in, in January, there was still uncertainty in, uh, here on Broadway as to what one could expect. Uh, with the economy and, of course, all the press of the 13 shows that uh, had closed recently. Right. and uh, we, we knew, we, we certainly felt that this would be of interest to not just a traditional Broadway us, but, but to the Asian American community and, of course, the Chinese uh, community uh, both here in New York City and the tri-state area. Uh, and that was an important part of our uh, marketing initiative. This is a, a demographic which does not traditionally attend uh, Broadway, and uh, it was as much an education, well, what is Broadway, why is this interesting to me, as well as bringing them to see a, a show that uh, appealed to their, uh, their ethnic roots. We have, um, we've brought three shows in to the United States from different parts of the world. Um, we're pretty selective about that because we're looking for things that are contemporary. Um, the first one was Cookin' Nanta that came from Korea that we actually um, executive produced and developed with them and launched throughout the international territories. And it ran for 18 months off Broadway. And it toured the United States three times. It was very, very successful in the marketplace. We were very happy with it. It's fun. It's fun entertainment. It was, you know. The next thing that we brought in was the Vietnamese water puppets. Um, my partner, Mark Rath, was on an airplane on his way flying somewhere in Asia. And he opened one of the airplane magazines. And he called me up and he says, there's this gorgeous 10-page spread of these puppets. What should we do? I said, go to Vietnam, get them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he went there, and he signed a contract with them. We brought them over. And that was actually very challenging, because we did it from a cultural point of view. We thought they were beautiful. 
there were these beautiful little puppets that would, you know, big, I mean, they were three and a half feet puppets that swam through this pool. And um, it turned out to be a political statement that we weren't ready for. And when we opened at UCLA, we had about 2,000 protesters, and mm. the terrorism mm. unit got called out by UCLA. It was pretty, it was fascinating. I mean, we got called to a sit down for, with like the, the, you know, Vietnamese about cultural issues. I mean, we were doing this completely for cultural exchange. It was pretty little puppets swimming around in a pool, you know. We had absolutely no idea the impact that it was going to have. Well, um, when was this? What year? This was n probably 1998, maybe, something around there, 1996. So what was the political... Um, the, where these puppets came from and the side that they were on from Vietnam oh, and you know okay. I mean it was really so it local. was it was yeah it was a, it was a it was an internal thing that we had there was no possibility we could have um, foreseen in any way um, so that was a different kind of experience and the third one we did is we recently co-produced I love you you're perfect now change in Chinese it was the first production done in Chinese <coughs> with a Chinese pop star that we co-financed with a very very well-known group out of Shanghai called Shanghai Dramatic Arts Center and we brought them into New York where they ran for four weeks in Shanghai and two weeks in Beijing and then we brought them into New York where they ran in rep opposite the American company so every other night they ran in English and then in Chinese and English and Chinese um, and they were great it was definitely challenging it was definitely challenging because as Bob said the Chinese community um, is not really a theater going community by practice per se, and it's hard to reach the second generation Asians in the United States. Well, actually, let's also talk a little bit about that. I've talked to both of you about the, infra the infrastructure that you have had to sort of try to build in China, um, the sort of theater-going infrastructure. And I remember, if I remember correctly, one of them was sort of educating people about buying tickets and when to buy tickets and how to buy tickets. Can you t tell me a little bit about that and then a little bit more about some of the other infrastructure things you're working on? Uh, it's. Uh, uh, China, uh, up until seven, eight years ago, did not have a, um, uh, uh, the, the, the habit of purchasing tickets. These were, first of all, it was a question of, is there something that was truly interesting to see? Uh, uh, and then it's a question of, well, how does one go to see these shows? And it was through tickets were given away. Uh, whether it's through employers or, uh, or, or otherwise. So the uh, part of the challenge that we all face is how do you change the culture of, uh, uh, of attending a show? And, of course, there's no uh, industry if you cannot purchase, no commercial industry if you cannot, uh, if people are not willing to purchase tickets. And uh, uh, certainly Shanghai, the most international city in, in China, is uh, uh, very strong, has a very strong single ticket market. We're, we're seeing that in some of the other cities along the coast, but uh, there's, uh, there's still some challenges in, the, uh, in some of the interior cities. And uh, Simone and I have our, uh, have our challenges. We, we find the right partners who, uh, who also share a common interest developing a uh, this this uh, ticket buying habit also there's no credit cards so it's a cash business it's all it's you know now credit cards are emerging in the last two or three years you know um, with the onset of the Olympics and visa getting involved in the Olympics and now the World Expo next year in Shanghai they need to deal with credit cards but even when you go to sophisticated areas of Beijing and you hand them an American Express card I did last week at a restaurant I handed my American Express card and they said Oh, no, no, this is only America. 
And I said, no, 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 this is international. It's American Express, you know. You can take this credit card. And they were like, no, I cannot take this credit card. This is only for America. So, you know, it's not, it, there aren't, it's not a credit card system. And also, there's no specific location to buy tickets. You know, you can't, like, call, like, Ticket Charge or Telecharge or something, you know, and figure out, you know, who you're talking to. Or, you know, there's no one to talk to. There's no one who knows what's going on. And, and it's, not just, <laughs> it's not just one ticketing, ticketing service. You may have a dozen or more. Uh, who are all brokers, perhaps working for one central uh, ticketing group. And uh, just as important, you, you, tickets are not purchased through the Internet, not yet. And uh, in part, that's a concern about the limited use of credit cards. Uh, They've started to be purchased, actually. This show that we're doing right now, they're purchased through your phone. It's actually right. a, Korean, um, it's mm -hmm. a Korean invention. We don't have, really, in the United States yet. We, haven't, we, we are not as sophisticated as they are in their technology. Um, the Koreans actually developed this, where you can bring your phone in and you flash it, and it, your your tickets off your phone. The Chinese actually have that now, so they're they, they're very um, inventive in terms of using their cell phones right now. So they do advertising and marketing on their cell phones openly, and they sell tickets through their cell phones. So they have a credit plan where they can charge in their from their cell phone plan to buy tickets right now. So that's what they're doing. It's more a debit system than it is a credit system because they don't really trust the credit system yet. Mm -hmm. Can we also talk a little bit about uh, the the existence of theaters that are appropriate for sort of Broadway style musicals and have, like are there I, I, I get the impression that you've had to work on sort of developing those theaters and uh, creating venues for shows to run. Well, as Simone said, uh, if they don't have the theater, they'll build it in a few months. So uh, they do. Uh, <laughs> this uh, the 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 amount of uh, uh, activity on the infrastructure uh, side of this business is just staggering. Yes. Uh, we're, we're, we're looking at literally hundreds of theaters that are under construction uh, across China. Uh, a project we're involved with in Beijing uh, is currently planned for 17. This is one district in, uh, in Beijing. Uh, there are similar developments that are planned in major markets across China, uh, and the uh, so the uh, the facilities are uh, they will come. They're, uh, they're they're in the works. They're designed at the very uh, uh, they're, they're designed for international uh, to accept uh, a wide range of international productions, not just uh, not just Broadway, of course. And uh, 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 that is changing the landscape. Pri prior to this, we had a selection of one or two. That uh, for years, Simone and I would talk about in Shanghai. You have one or two that you would look at, and now that's changing. I think also we have to recognize China is a 2,000 year old culture that has thousands and thousands and thousands of performance troops. We just happen to be the interesting taste of the time right now, and there's a lot of reasons for that in mainland China. It's because we're commercial art. Commercial art is fascinating to them as the businessmen that the Chinese are. The Chinese are businessmen. Chinese want to do deals, you know, and they want to trying to figure out how to take their troop system, which they employ, you know, I don't know, a million, two million, three million, five million people in their troop systems across China and convert them into something that is self-propagating at this point. 
And so they're really studying our system very, very carefully because, you know, Alan's job is to like make a show and make sure that it works financially, you know? You know, that's, I mean, that's what we're very conscious of those things when we go into doing a production. Um, and they have never been until this point because when they spend a couple million dollars on doing a show, it runs two performances and they close it. That's what they've been doing. So they look at us and they say, oh, you guys are doing something smart. You're paying attention to like the financial part of this. You know? So I think that part of the reason we're really interesting is for that purpose. But there are a lot of performing arts centers you know, where opera has been done and acrobatics has been done and dance and ballet that they precede us by thousands of years you know, in terms of their art forms. So they needed these grand theaters regardless. And I think something important that Alan said earlier, which he noticed um, out of Singapore when he did Les Mis there, there is a definite movement across Asia. I mean, we have shows running, I think, in 10 countries right now across the marketplace. And there is a definite movement across Asia right now that culture enhances better living. And each of these markets has slogans that say that. And I think there's an understanding that certainly I've, uh, I've seen that in Shanghai and Beijing, that culture is good for business that uh, certainly everything that Simone has mentioned is, uh, is important, uh, is an important consideration in the, uh, certainly in China to promote uh, culture, but uh, uh, there's also an understanding that this is, this is good for our economy, this is good for our city, yeah. our, our, our province, and uh, uh, look how uh, culture has successfully uh, uh, revitalized uh, Times Square, for instance, or, uh, or perhaps uh, there are there other examples around the world. We want to bring that here. It's, uh, it's good for business. I mean, Korea shifted from an industrial nation to a cultural and technology nation in the last five years. I mean, literally the entire focus of the government went from industry to culture and technology. They call it CT. It's the CT movement called the Korean wave, which, you know, Alan has been able to take advantage of with Dreamgirls in a really interesting way. I mean, we have seven shows in Korea right now, you know, and they're all local productions. Um, and the market's hot for it. I mean, as you start, as we were talking about earlier, you know, Korea, I started going to Korea in 1987. I think I went to Korea for the first time. And they have a huge off-Broadway mm. um, industry. When I went there in 1987, there were maybe 40 theaters between the size of 50 to 350 seats. Now, there are 450 of those theaters. So the market is just, and, and the government has focused on this, and Korea has profited tremendously in this area in terms of becoming the focal point for culture and technology because they're really interestingly situated between Japan and China right now. And they're creative, and they have a huge musical theater industry. You know? So, um, so I, you know, they're focused on this area. Uh, you're absolutely correct about Seoul in particular, that yeah. it's an enormous theater scene there with made, even award, local awards ceremonies and, uh, uh, and uh, a real theater community. What's interesting about that, though, is that it reflects, I think, increasing appetite and increasing interest for Western-style entertainment, for musicals in particular, American musicals, and I think that's leading now to local development of, lo of local musicals based upon a Western model. Yes. Now, whether right. or not those productions locally developed are going to, to find their way back here, and then whether or not there will be a genuine sort of back and forth uh, of, of, of new work, as there is between the U.S. and the U.K., is something I think is one of the more interesting things to keep an eye for.
in the future. I think you're but right. Korea has developed a bunch of those. What, but the biggest thing they don't understand that we have learned through pain mm. over the years is that there's a lot of development needed to make these musicals yes. work. They yes. think you, pr you make it, you produce it, you open it, you spend all your money, and that's very problematic right now. Well, indeed, our, our, our uh, Korean experience very much made that clear to us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm it sure. was a very big production. <laughs> it's very complicated. Yeah. And there are e even interesting aspects of production, and, and even aside from mounting local productions, taking a, a, a U.S.-based production overseas, in addition to the cultural differences, when you asked what is the big, biggest challenge, the cultural differences from a macro point of view are the, the from a micro point of view, translators. <laughs> Something as simple as that. One thing we haven't talked about, when do you, yeah, well, can we talk a little bit about translation and also when you decide to present a show in the local language versus in uh, English? Well, I think at least at the moment, the, the, the notion of presenting shows in a local language or an English language are two very separate endeavors, if I'm not mistaken, which is that at least insofar as American shows are going to the Far East, they're, an all, they're always performed in English, obviously, and not, you know, you don't ask your cast to pick up the local language. Um, but taking a production to, the, to, in my experience overseas, uh, you, there, there were in the past, I mean, less and less now, differences just in how you got a show on. You mentioned labor rules, union rules. Uh, the practice o in overseas is often very different from what we're accustomed to, and uh, there are challenges there. Absolutely. Can we talk a little bit about the difference in producing costs, producing abroad versus here in New York? Well, the only experience I have in that res respect is what I mentioned before about building costumes in Seoul. Uh, and is that, was that less expensive primarily due to union? Uh, the cost of labor was, yes, vastly less yeah. expensive. I, I can tell you that for the costumes for the current production that we're about to begin touring, if built in the, in the United States, would run somewhere around $2.5 million. And we're getting them, in this case, for $850,000. Right, I was going to say, we, we opened the costume shop. We opened the costume shop about three and a half years ago in the southern part of mainland China. We've built um, five shows out of there at this point. And um, the cost savings for an industry, I mean, if I went to Alan and I said, Alan, I can build your, your costumes for 40% of your cost from Broadway, which I will talk to him about later. <laughs> um, they will, you know, and, and it works, and it, there is a cost savings, and they're beautiful. I mean, we've built a lot of shows out of there right now, and they're quite magnificent. There is one important lesson that we learned, interestingly, in this recent experience, which is that the direct cost that one pays to the costume shop is vastly lower. But if you're the, the American producer bringing costumes in, for, or any other physical production elements in from outside, you really have to plan on providing a lot more support, a lot more design support for the local shops. Uh, in the case of Dreamgirls, we had a, an associate costume designer literally moved to, to Seoul for four months to oversee the local shop in order to ensure that the costumes were built to a standard and to the designs that would be necessary f here. Uh, it's a small investment compared to you know, what one can save simply by taking advantage of the difference. In, in, uh, in labor rates in, in, the, in between the United States and virtually any other country. Yes. And what about the cost of just basic transportation for the set of Dreamgirls, for instance? It's expensive. I mean, I mean <laughs> it's more expensive than a bus and truck, right? Well, for uh, an American production or 
to, to travel to the Far East, you always face the, the thorny issue of air versus sea. It's cheap to go by sea. It's very expensive to go by air. And it's tricky to, to take a, a U.S. touring production, for example, and say, right, we'll go now to Seoul for six weeks because you need to shut down if you're going to go by sea for three weeks before and after, and it's just not, not economic. Um, and the, the labor rules don't allow us to do it properly either. It's not just that it's not yeah. economic. I mean, it hurts us. We, we face very impactful costs because we need to ship it, but that the union regulations don't really allow us the time that we need to ship. Exactly. So. Um, for the most part, though, well, actually going back to the engagement of Les Miserables in Singapore, which was back in 1991, was kind of an interesting example of how we made it work uh, economically, whereas at first glance it appeared to be an impossible challenge. We uh, had a, a U.S. touring company on the road at that time uh, in the States. Uh, there had been an Australian production, which was a full reproduction of the London and New York versions of the show, uh, that had successfully toured Australia and then shut down. The set and costumes and everything had gone into storage. And when we were presented with the, with the Singapore opportunity, what we did was to import by sea the set, the lighting equipment, the sound equipment from Australia to Singapore. could take all its time to get there by sea. And then we sent the American cast with their costumes. And it was a, essentially a co-production between our, Singapore, our, our Australian office and the New York office working with the local theater in Singapore. There's one way to skim that cap, but it can only be, that sort of thing can only be done when you've got, <laughs> you happen to have a set sitting in a, in a warehouse. No, you're right. I mean, we just, we <laughs> just recently did that with the producers. Um, we did the producers in Japan. Um, we represented Mel Brooks to do it in local language productions, both in, in Japan and Korea, which was quite a fascinating endeavor. And, um, and we shipped in the set from Australia. Um, the company came from Japan, the creative team came from the United States, and, um, and they made it work. So. You know, there's another interesting challenge about it as well, and again, referring to American productions that play in the Far East. Um, because of the distance to get there, it's you often advantageous, if you're planning a Far East leg of a tour, to try to book three or four cities, if you can do that, to lay off the cost and, and amortize the cost. The tricky part is to do just that in the Far East, you're doing a lot of flying because it's not exactly easy to get from Shanghai to Seoul. That's right. People uh, don't realize that. It's, the distances are big. Yeah. And even within China, uh, the distances, know, the distances are, are enormous. The size, China's the size of the United States. Exactly. Uh, our upcoming tour is going north in Beijing to Nanning in the south and then to Shanghai. It's, it's uh, routing is a challenge. Yes, mm -hmm. it is. Looking ahead, how do you imagine the sort of international circuit for Broadway style entertainment uh, to grow? How do you imagine it will grow? And say, what will it look like in, say, five or ten years? I think it's going to be a lot more than it is now. Again, I think it's very much a, an economic issue as local the Chinese economy continues to grow as there increases to be a, you know, a, a, a middle class you know, with uh, available funds and to the extent that there's continued interest in, in exploring other outside cultural aspects other than the Chinese culture. And if you take that model and place it in any number of other potential companies around the world, the potential growth in the, f in the future, I think, in the near future, for Broadway-style entertainment is huge. We haven't touched really upon South America, for example, but it's yeah, just was, now my starting My next to question show was what, tell me more, tell me about some of the other, tell us about some of the other markets that it's, you think. Again, it's in the same way that Korea is 
now what Japan was 30 years ago. Uh, South America, I think, is it's, it's just on the edge of starting to make, make that move. And it'll increasingly become a market. Yeah. It's very hard. It's challenging. Very, yeah. very challenging because of the distances. The distances yeah. are even more intense than they are in Asia. I mean, you really need to jump sets to make South America work. You can't really have one set touring South America because it's, they're very, very, you have to fly them. It's impossible. You just can't make, you can't make that tour happen. So you really have to have two sets moving simultaneously. Wow. And at the moment, there's only maybe five cities in all of South America that are even remotely potential for touring. And if you figure from, uh, you know, from just from Buenos Aires to Rio is a two-day journey by yeah. land. Yeah. But there are major markets coming online. I mean, we have our first show opening in South Africa. We, um, we produced a musical based on SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> uh, we produced it out of Singapore, actually, two years ago. Um, it's great. It's a big, giant, Broadway-sized musical, singing and dancing all live. And um, we're opening in South Africa um, on December 15th in Johannesburg in Cape Town. And uh, it's a market I've been wanting to go to. I'm always interested in seeing what else is out there for expansion. Um, we've got some deals happening in Scandinavia right now. Scandinavia is a very lucrative market. Um, so I think that the international markets are really growing. I think that one of the challenges that we all face, the three of us, about this is that we really need our labor unions to be in line with understanding the international markets. Our contracts currently do not deal with the reality of these markets um, in any way whatsoever in structure, in per diems, in timing, in dates, and it just doesn't, they're not, they haven't embraced the global market because when they were written, there was no global market. So I think that that's something that will come upon us in the coming years to be able to deal with the international markets. But I do agree with Helen, I think that it is a major area of growth um, and will continue to be. And also just to go back to something we touched upon earlier, I think what, uh, alongside the growth of American productions traveling overseas and vice versa, I think we're going to see much, much more local production. And I think to date it's fair to say, if you take sh shows like Les Miserables or Chicago, uh, those, those titles have had many, many productions around the world, locally produced, using the original designs in the better part, for the better part. Uh, and what in some ways will lead the way, I think, in terms of developing local production is going to be the major title shows that come from Broadway or the West End. Uh, to set the example. Exactly. Yeah. And those are also, of course, the titles that offer the economic potential to make producing a production locally sensible. You, know, if you, you might not think that uh, certain shows which won't go named would play more than a week, and other shows which do go named could play two, three months, yeah. enough, to, enough to justify mounting a production specifically for the territory. And do you see anything, Bob, do you see anything uh, in particular, well, since your focus is China, where do you see China being in five years? The growth in the market is not, uh, of course, our, our particular interest in the new venues which are coming online. Uh, I've already mentioned there are literally hundreds that will be uh, up and running within the next couple of years. They're beautiful facilities. Uh, there's a need for content. Some of that's going to come from uh, shows that, uh, uh, that come from Broadway. Uh, Simone and uh, Alan will, uh, will, will supply some of those, certainly. but. Uh, the bulk of it will come from China itself, and uh, whether that's adaptations of uh, uh, Broadway shows or the, uh, through the uh, creation of their own uh, their own productions, that will be the certainly the bulk of the the market in in China, given the scale of what's happening today. But in order for that to happen, there's a, 
uh, the, the infrastructure necessary to produce locally doesn't quite exist, and that's something that I know Simone's been tapped to help with, as are we, uh, to assist with that. And uh, certainly it's uh, our expectation, my expectation, and that shows we'll also tour internationally and come back to the United States. Well, our time is up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us. These programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, I'm Gordon Cox, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. The Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. Best known for creating the Tony Awards, we stand for excellence, but we also support education in the theatre and our work reaches beyond Broadway in New York. The Working in the Theater television programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are unequaled forums for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth radio interviews were created in conjunction with XM Satellite Radio and can be heard on our website. Our annual theater company grants support New York not-for-profits and since they began, have distributed nearly $3 million. We are also pleased to be the home of the Jonathan Larson Grants, which support emerging composers and lyricists. For people who are starting their careers, we have a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country called Springboard NYC. And our theater intern group provides a forum for young people who are starting their careers to build a professional network. All of the American Theatre Wing's educational and media programs are available for free on demand from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Thanks for your interest in the Wing, and thanks for watching.